Ramble. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to The Tripod. Today, this is not a comedy podcast. We are recording this on Wednesday, June 3rd. Uh, eight days of protests have followed the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, uh, the latest in an unfortunately packed history of police brutality and police killing of an unarmed black man. Uh, so now we've seen protests in all 50 states, though I don't think that quite captures the full picture of what's happening right now. Over 100 cities across the country and global participation from places uh, from France all the way to New Zealand. So today we want to take a moment to talk about the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, what we think this moment means for whatever our perspective is worth, our own history of racism and anti-racism as it's impacted our lives, uh, as well as firsthand accounts from being at the protests this week. This is something that I think you are already thinking about. I hope you're already thinking about it. This has touched your life in one way or another. So let's Let's dive in, guys. You know, L.A. has been a, a big place where there's been a lot of protests, a lot of, um, you know, police presence at those protests. We have the National Guard here. We've had curfews every day since Saturday um, with two days ago, a curfew beginning at 1 p.m. in certain parts of the city, which I, you know, I resent that as a curfew. That feels <laughs> like a lockdown, not a curfew. But it's one o'clock. You you finish lunch and then that's that's the end of your day. Like that's yeah. wild to me. Um but yeah, we want to I you know, I know some of us uh were able to go out there and protest and we saw some things. Some things were very inspiring. Here's one thing I want to say is that like there's a big depiction of uh violence around the country. Uh that is not the case with uh, 99% of the protests. In fact, a hundred percent of the protests are nonviolent. Um there are other things happening that show violence but i think if you're thinking i want to go protest i want to participate but i'm afraid of the violence you shouldn't be you should go out there and join and uh you know seeing a lot of people out there protesting will help make a difference so don't be afraid of of that um and if you are afraid of anything with violent at the protest it's unfortunately uh the police which is that's disheartening i think uh to see to see the amount of violence we've been able to see shared on twitter and on the news it's um it is scary, and it's scarier that it's the people who are supposed to protect us. So maybe we should start on uh, the first kind of really big protest. Uh, a couple of you were able to go to the one in West Hollywood, uh, and this was, I would say, like the first big display from L.A. in terms of protest, um, uh, which was... I mean, like this was all over the news and, and very big. And obviously, like there was lots of news coverage about it. But what was your experience um, being there and kind of walking with people? Pan Pacific Park was very crowded. We had multiple speakers from Black Lives Matter. And at some point, um, after about an hour of speakers, the crowd started moving uh, in about like a two and two and a half mile loop around West Hollywood. Um, and that's probably when people started seeing more from news coverage, uh, particularly once um, a car was lit on fire, which happened about a block behind me. And that was already about four hours, five hours into the peaceful protest. And that in itself already was a little suspect because no one knew where that car came from. Um, it just appeared out of nowhere. It was just sitting there. Um, but an abandoned I, old cop car in an intersection yeah, in the routes of a protest. But we uh, had only engaged in a very peaceful, very moving protest. There, were, there was a really beautiful moment where a lot of the uh, the lead protesters were um, sitting um, with their fists raised in an intersection, and everyone sat around them in a circle, and that was uh, really powerful to see. I was first afraid to go to the park because we're in the middle of a pandemic, and I was afraid of being around that many people. But once I heard that the march had started, um, we went by to check it out. We saw that people were 
99% masks. It was something that was uh, very cool to be a part of. We are in the middle of a pandemic. And if you look at how the police are outfitted and the response to peaceful protesting across the country, and if you look at the response to COVID, the police are look like somebody avengers they look like they are decked out they have every fucking gear that they could possibly imagine and doctors people who are saving people from the pandemic are wearing trash bags and using like household supplies to try to save lives and i think that that is really like to me that's such a clear distinction of what is important to administration to government and to people that work for us because we're paying for all of it. We are paying taxes. We are being, you know, it's like they work for us. But uh, for some reason, this is so flipped upside down. God forbid uh, our tax dollars actually go where we want them to go. Yeah. Jesus, it's insane. The one thing I think that incited, you know, made me so upset is when Becky and I were like, okay, it was a little too congested for us just for the COVID situation. So we're like, let's go further away. Let's just walk along Beverly Boulevard ourselves with some other small people with signs and just walk back and forth uh and we got to the cbs parking lot the parking lot for james corden's late night show and saw that there were a lot of police sort of packed into there and we also saw a, a very dangerous driving by police to get into there <laughs> so they would be flying down the street with their sirens blaring as if they were rushing to help somebody but they were actually just rushing to go park in CBS together, but they were driving in ways I saw them nearly hit two pedestrians. You're saying CBS, CBS, CBS yes, the, the studio network. near the Grove. The studio near the Grove um, was their parking lot. Was basically being used as a, a, a military base of the army, and I was more than uh, not the army, sorry, of the police, but it was the National Guard was starting to come in at that time. I not only saw policemen laughing, having fun, being very excited. Uh, I, the first thing I saw when I walked by was a cop get out and he took his baton and just thwacked it in his hand on the other side of the fence during a protest. He's there to be violent. I saw them all laughing. None of them were wearing masks, which was just bonkers to me. Uh, and then, you know, I'm seeing all these people, <clears throat> all these police motorcycle brigades careening into this place. And then I start seeing the sort of military-esque trucks and men holding uh, the smoke uh, the tear gas like cannons, the bigger ones. And two of them drove by pointing it at us on the sidewalk. I wasn't filming at that time, but like I, I had a grenade launcher pointed at me off of a car, not the guy on top, a guy on the side. And then another cop car went by and they were waving from the backseat of their car. They're there to like make people upset, scare them, make them angry. And it worked. I was like, okay, I don't want to be in this situation where I could be walking on a street, not a part of the main protest and have a gun aimed at me. So then we kept walking. And then I did film again because I saw another brigade coming and I saw another guy on top with a, what, a pepper bullet gun. And it was pointed at the up opposing sidewalk at people on the ground just as they were driving. Um, just wild things. Yeah, I, I guess this is the thing I want to dive right into. And I'm glad you brought us there, Keith, because I've been tiptoeing around it for the first, you know, five to 10 minutes of this. The narrative that I have seen play out on the news this past week, I've been watching a lot more news and local news than I've ever watched, is the horror of violent protests and this narrative of, of not protests, of riots, of, of out of control looting. And as we were only here in Los Angeles, I can only speak from firsthand of my own experiences and the firsthand accounts that I've been watching on Twitter that have shocked me from across the country. That ain't the story. The story right now is flagrant misuse of police force and of brutality against citizens of using rubber bullets and tear gas and flashbangs and military force to disperse peaceful crowds of people who are protesting police brutality <laughs> it is a police brutality protest that is being met with police brutality on a scale that we have never seen in this country it's just it's sickening it's the the, the very thing that we're protesting we're seeing played out on a massive scale mm -hmm. and and the fact there's there's no reason why police should have needs for these sort of like militarized equipment, armored vehicles, 
and like full full riot gear. There's all this there's all this research that shows that when police have escalatory tactics and come decked out in their like military gear, that that is what escalates the violence. You know, there there was there were some images from Miami of policemen that are just in their their normal uniforms and uh you know a simple surgical mask kneeling with protesters. And like that that is that is a, a, a much better situation than the LA police which are coming with tear gas and rubber bullets and like what do you expect is going to happen mm -hmm. police people and, and I will say <laughs> and, uh, even <laughs> keep walking home felt threatened yeah, yeah like, when uh, people feel threatened it's going to break out into violent situation and there's there's plenty of videos on social media where it's like one small time there was I think it was Seattle where it's like a policeman grabs somebody's umbrella and then it turns into 10 seconds later, the yeah. entire line of policemen shooting tear gas and flash bombs. And like, it is, it's awful. Yeah, I went to the Saturday protests. I went to uh, the protests that were happening yesterday, particularly um, felt more inflamed uh, since Trump decided to essentially declare a police state. Um, but I think what is really telling about this moment is that so many more people are really paying attention because of when it personally affects them, um, which is why I think things like this idea of property damage or, or even looting is coming up because, you know, how do you think such a disenfranchised, systematically uh, burned out community is going to get your attention? We weren't here. We, nothing changed after Rodney King in 92. Nothing changed after Trayvon Martin. Nothing changed after Philandro Castile. Nothing changed after all these incidents. And they're the very few incidents that we actually saw uh, some sort of accountability because it was magnified by being caught on camera or through social media. But this stuff we have to remember happens every single day. And that's why the community is not only mad, they are in a place where they're also just like tired of us only deciding to pay attention when it suddenly becomes a problem for us. And I think that this is a reckoning that when people say, I don't know how to approach this, or I, I, I'm so like disturbed. I mean, you have the right to be disturbed, but this has been the DNA of this country since Africans were involuntarily taken from their homes and dragged to be slaves for the people who founded this country. Like this is, if anything, this is the way this country should fall. Like if this is the end, then it should fall in rebellion. I'm sorry. It is the comeuppance, it is the repercussions of hundreds of years of black struggle. And I can only, in the smallest amount, equate just the tiniest bit of my experience as a, an Asian American and as a gay person. But to, to be in this moment, which I think there's a lot of inspiring aspects to, that people can come together and collectively support the black community is great. But we also have to remember that this is a situation that we can't just tiptoe around anymore. There's, it's a situation that in any other way I can express is, it's a long time coming, you know? And I think that there is a reckoning that unfortunately, a lot of this has been inflamed by the power that has been in place. I mean, where was everyone? Where are we when we support things like uh, taking away affirmative action from school applications? Where are we when we have gerrymandered districts? Where are we when we see uh, uh, this group of people constantly being systematically abused and pushed down until we see someone walk out with a cheesecake from Cheesecake Factory? We're like, okay, now I feel like, don't please don't take my fucking Lululemons from Nordstrom's, you know? Like this mm -hmm. shit, we have to remember that it's, it's a response. You know what I mean? This is a response, it's a reaction. And I think that, again, we have historically put so much ownness on the black community to both be the victims and then also the perpetrators of something that they never asked to be a part of to begin with. It is wonderful to see many communities come together in support of that community. And I think that we all have a lot of time right now to actually reflect on how we have either contributed to anti-blackness and how we can alleviate that in the future because we do not want to see, and this will probably happen, 99% of everyone speaking out just on social media is going to stop when this is over.
Yeah. We have to be banner wavers as those who are allies without trepidation. We have to, you can't just type a tweet and feel like you're doing something. You can't just send $50. I mean, that's the most some people can do, but you have to enact it in your daily lives. We have to exemplify this in every single breath we take because they are not allowed to breathe. That's the whole point of this. And people out there, all the fucking, you know, people playing their bridge with their spritzers, clutching their pearls over this. Like, how do you think you fucking got those pearls to begin with? Who bestowed you those pearls? Your parents, mm-hmm. your grandparents. There has been something around black people's necks in this country that's been way tighter for hundreds of years. And now it includes includes a fucking policeman's knee. Oh, yeah. It includes a policeman's knee down on fucking George Floyd's neck. There's no excuse anymore from anyone to try to negotiate black people's reaction, their anger, their voices in this. We have to support and we also have to listen because this country has had way too much of white people talking over everyone else. A lot to unpack in uh, that, that I agree with all of it. There's this incredible, um, an incredible article on The Root. Uh, It's called A Timeline of Events That Led Up to the 2020 Fed Uprising by Michael Harriet. And it begins August 1619 with the first ship that landed on American shores with stolen people. This, there is no history of America. There is no history of this moment without taking into context the history of our nation that is built on slavery and inequality and injustice and stolen lives. Uh, there's a lot of outrage right now over their outrage. But if you look at even the past 40, 50 years, we have in the 70s, Nixon declares a war on drugs, which he and his advisors openly stated was to, one, discredit an anti-war movement and to demonize the black community. That's not something that was invented. That's not an opinion. That, that was their stated aim. In the 80s, the Reagan administration made that war on drugs literal, and they cracked down on black families and black lives as the prison population exploded. Then in the 90s, the Clinton administration, to prove that Democrats could be just as hard on crime, they took up that mantle and they militarized the police force. They created policies that made it way easier to incriminate black people and keep them in prison for a long time. The Black Lives Matter movement began under the Obama administration. We have had black people's livelihoods volleyed back and forth between Democrats and Republicans for years and nothing has happened. It has just gotten worse and worse and worse. So when you get to this moment and you say, well, guys, there's a better way to protest. What is it? Because they've been trying. We've been trying. Colin Kaepernick kneeled and everyone called him a monster. So these shouts have gone unheard as a system has beat down on them. They're fucking mad as hell. And guess what? They should be. What choice do they fucking have? I uh, was ashamed of myself that I wasn't mobilized to the point even I am now, which is still not enough until, uh, you know, a car drove by and pointed a grenade launcher or a gun at me uh, or I saw people laughing about the violence they were going to impact on other people. I've seen videos of it, um, but until I was on that sidewalk and I felt like someone was going to take joy in harming my life, uh, I started to see just how scary it would be for somebody who feels that every day they walk out their door. Like every time they go to a store to buy something, anytime they're pulled over, like uh, I've never had a cop encounter where I was like, well, that went really great. Like, you know, I never, (laughs) and, and I'm about as like cut and based white, like a generic white guy as possible. And, you know, I, even they to me are dicks but that's all they are to me they're they're harassers and murderers and this doesn't even go into the fact that the current you know uh jail and prison system is basically modern slavery and it it's it's built on that and it there's just so many horrific injustices so if you have interacted with us on twitter and you're trying to say any kind of thing about how anything is you know, they shouldn't be so mad or whatever. I just, I can't meet it with too much rational argument anymore because I'm seeing so many irrational things happening. I would just meet it with where, where are you choosing to channel your outrage? 
Yeah. I don't think that any person is going to stand here and say, oh, thank God buildings are getting destroyed. <laughs> but where is your outrage? Are you equally outraged that people are getting killed? That, 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 that people are getting, one, at this moment, attacked? I have talked to family members and to friends who said that, oh, it's so horrible what's happening out there. Look how violent people are being. And I go, no, no, no. I was there. I've seen what's happened. And what is happening is that the police are attacking peaceful protests. And you may say, well, they would never do that. That's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. But that's what's happening. On, my, on the block that I live on, I saw 500 police officers uh, in military outfits in a coordinated sweep uh, circle and surround a group of peaceful protesters, some of whom were taking a knee, all with their hands up, chanting, hands up, don't shoot. What do you think happened? They were met with flashbangs and tear gas and rubber bullets. And Eugene, you were telling me what those rubber bullets actually are. They're not, they're not little pelt guns. Mm -mm. No, those rubber bullets can blow out your eyes. They can cut up, essentially like take your lips off your face. They're just metal balls. They're essentially bullets covered in a thin layer of rubber. And they're big. They're like yeah. fucking yeah. huge. You know, and, they're, and, they're, and they're supposed to be ricochet bullets, which means you shoot them at the ground, you shoot them at a wall, and you're aiming at people to be bounced, have it bounced at, right? So you lose at least, if you have a ricochet, you're going to lose like 30% oh, of, wow. the, you know, uh, of momentum. Uh, and it's not, but they're shooting it straight at people's faces. Uh, there's like a 3% death rate from those uh, and higher, obviously, if they're misused. Mm -hmm. But I think even the proper use of them has a 3% uh, fatality rate. So like that's a large percent if you think uh, you would only have to shoot 30 of those to potentially kill somebody. Um, and in terms of, yeah, I mean, maybe I can speak to the rubber bullet. So my a friend of mine who I was protesting with, we went to the Santa Monica protests, were, which were on Sunday, so the day after the, the WeHo protests. And protests go on all through the night. People are getting arrested all night. Um, curfews instated. Um, and at the Santa Monica one, we uh, we go. And, and it's also, it's hard, right? It's a hard situation. And this is something I'm trying to deal with right now where, like, um, you have to pay attention to who's organizing the protest because that also matters. And you don't want to go to a protest that's not super organized because sometimes that has more of a likelihood to turn into chaos because mm. the police are prepared there. They don't have organizers t it's explicitly yelling, don't instigate anything. You know, like it, it matters Miles, to, to that um, point. How do you, how do people find that? Because that's so, something I was struggling with for sure is trying to figure out where is the protest and. Right. Yeah, it's and, hard to find that and it's a double edged sword. I would say that like a, a great resource is just Black Lives Matter LA or Black Lives Matter wherever you live. There is a social media account for that. And they are an organized group. They have people who are professional organizers. They know how to hold these protests. They know how to have speakers. They you know, it's it's a little bit more organized. And so the one I went to in Santa Monica was not that um, it was still organized, though. So it's hard because it's also like there was a huge protest in Hollywood yesterday um, that was this rapper, uh, YG, uh, who I am not really familiar with, had promoted it and been like, we're doing this protest. And then he canceled the event 20 minutes before. Thousands Whoa. of people still showed up. So it's yeah. like, th you know, thousands upon thousands of people were still there uh, and, and protesting and marching around Hollywood. So it really did. We were there. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so it, I heard really it was canceled, like, but people were still there. So I'm like, fuck it, I'm going. Yeah. And so the one I went to in Santa Monica was uh, was organized, but uh, but not Black Lives Matter organized. So it was just slightly less. But we were there and we we're marching around right right near the water, near all these insanely expensive houses and apartments and complexes uh, in Santa Monica. And at a certain point, it, it became that we're just lined up next to the police line brigade. And um, the, the, the thing kind of splinters off. A march starts going down the street, but people are still there. We walk uh, three minutes and then um, we hear explosions behind us. They have tear gas the whole area. They have shot rubber bullets all to advance their police line 100 feet. That, that's all. And this is all before curfew. This is a completely peaceful protest. This is just to this is just to assert their dominance. We get to move a hundred feet. We want we want this to be over here. And so, it, it really was just like this was useless. This did not need to happen. They're tear gassing. And so we ran back. 
because we're, we thought there's still people over there. Maybe they need our help. Uh, we have like, I have milk in a Mason jar in case anyone gets pepper sprayed, you know, I'm uh, over there. And it's crazy also that like, as I'm preparing for these things, I'm like, well, I have band-aids and milk in a Mason jar. Hopefully maybe this is overkill. Maybe I'm just trying to live like this fantasy of being a protester. And no, that's not true. There, there are people who are hurt and there are people who do need, who get pepper sprayed, who need milk in their eyes. So we go back and, um, we're there holding the line for, you know, another 15 minutes. And this is pro this is all at two o'clock, uh, uh, two, three o'clock. At this point, it's probably three o'clock. And um, at 3.30, they established that the curfew was 4 p.m., uh, which is not a curfew. That's before the work day ends. Uh, it's fucking ridiculous. And, and we're there. people no notice. It's no crazy. notice. The whole reason they do that, by the way, uh, the reason that cops do this, and, and something we spoke about earlier about the, the kneeling and stuff like that, the reason they do that is because they want an excuse to um, arrest everybody who's there. So uh, what they've done repeatedly throughout all these protests is they'll have a line of p police, p police uh, protesters will be lined up, they'll block off the exits. And again, a lot of this stuff that we're saying sounds like conspiracy theories. I assure you it is not. This is what they do because this is what they are trained to do because this is what they need to do to get their point across. And we've tested their dominance and that's what they don't like. So they'll create another line of police on the other side and then they'll wait until the curfew and then they'll arrest everybody inside. And that's because you can't escape and you'll try to get out and they go, the road's closed off, et cetera. This is what they do repeatedly. So we're there and thankfully- the And I can back that up that I experienced them trying to corner me. I watched mm -hmm. them trap and corner other people. And when people try and leave, they go, you can go out south. And then they go, no, I just went there and there's a blockade south. Right. And uh -huh. this is, and that's what they are doing. They are yes. cornering people. They are creating confusion. They are scattering so they can pick people off and, and undercut the size of the protests so right. that it doesn't seem as legitimate. Um, and frankly, that is the confusion that allows, in my opinion, something like rampant looting to happen because now you have chaos and people running about in every direction and they go fuck it okay the protest isn't working there are studies that show that people don't just spontaneously start rioting you know mm -hmm. people that that loot they don't go there and then spontaneously decide to do that those are people that have consciously said that is my aim however the violence that i have seen has been initiated by police force and has been ramped up and not helped because of said force. Yesterday we were in Hollywood and someone shouted like, hey, the police office is that way, let's go in front of there. And uh, one of the organizers uh, shouted and said, no, we're going straight, that's not why we came here, pay attention. And he, you know, mm. there was one person in the mm. crowd that was like trying to rally everyone and get them rabbled up to, to go fight yeah. in front of a police that, station. That person was white. And the, oh, person the person yelling, said, yeah. Yeah, the person yelling to go to the police station was white. The person who said, no, we're going to continue this course was black. I mean, there's mm -hmm. just a certain amount of, um, I guess, radical tourism happening for some young white kids. It's weird. The first protest that happened on Saturday, uh, when the curfew, that was the first curfew that hit. And there mm -hmm. were people, because I was dropping off a friend who lived in who lives in the heart of where the protest was in West Hollywood at 6 p.m. And I saw people arriving in their cars, like four different cars as I was driving back and all of them were full of white teenagers. Like they were just arriving. Like yeah. they were not there at the protest. They were just arriving to show up for whatever happened after curfew. Yeah. And that is like the most egregious display of white privilege. <laughs> like how can you yeah. get worse than that? Especially since the conversation around things like looting and property damage are inevitably gonna be put on the shoulders again of black protesters. It is. And that's why when you see fucking videos of like Jake Paul walking around a fucking mall. Oh my God. It's oh, indefensible. Yeah. Even if he's saying he didn't steal anything, he's fucking walking around holding his little he's vodka bottle it. from fucking P.F. Chang's. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that shit, the fact that also he probably doesn't think that he necessarily did anything wrong is exactly why he needs to be educated about it. And the problem is, is that it is essentially a place that he is representing of white privilege of where he is socioeconomically of where he is as a man, a straight white man, like he doesn't see it. He's never seen it, you know? And I think that there is a larger conversation to be had there about this idea. And miles, you hit on it of being aware of like, what is sort of like this tourism of, of being a protester emotionally. But I, I do think that just you showing up or us showing up is in the right place in terms of 
where our hearts lie yeah. with the Black Lives Matter right, movement. Right, right, yeah. And I think when we go to these places, it's important to be a follower and not, yeah. you're not a leader there. I'm not a yeah. leader of the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm a follower. And yesterday, even like there was, I was with that that same crowd. I was actually uh, ahead in the crowd once it was going east, just because when where we were when it changed direction, put us near the front. And there was some confusion as to whether to go left or straight. And Becky and I start like people said to go left. So we're like, okay, you got it. And then they said other people say, no, we're gonna go this way. Like, you got it. <laughs> and we literally were walking back and forth, and we're like, don't care. Just tell me where to go. Tell me where my body is a part of this massive number of people is gonna be most useful. The only time you as a white person right now should be trying to step to the front of the line is if the front of the line has a bunch of black people about to be attacked by police. You should yep. insert yourself Absolutely. and be arrested instead. I, you know, Becky and I both were like. It is never our goal to go to one of these places and be arrested, but it should be our goal in this time to protect the people who are already under attack. And if that means we need to be those people, then we need to look at ourselves and say that our privilege will give us a safer experience than them. So oh, yeah. we should we should place ourselves there instead. If you are an ally, your job right now is to listen, amplify voices, and protect. That's it. Yeah. And I will say, um, so an interesting thing. Whew, just yeah, this, I'm sweating. Whew. But uh, the, I know an interesting. I think think uh, an interesting thing that played out on social media yesterday was the the blackout squares thing. And I, I I'm sure everyone's familiar with it because you probably saw it on your timelines. But I posted a black square at the beginning of the day because I was like, this is what everyone's doing. And then quickly, I looked at Twitter. I looked at all the people who were saying, hey, this is probably maybe not the right thing to do. It's showing your solidarity, but you're blacking out these other voices. It's literally silencing them. And so I deleted it. And that's okay. I saw this great thing on Twitter that was like, if you're worried about trying to be an activist and you're worried you're going to make a wrong step, that's okay. You can post something and delete it and realize that you were wrong and that's good and okay. Mm -hmm. If you're not yeah. going to be perfect at this right away, it takes practice and you have to realize when you've made a misstep and uh, also don't just post a black square. But if you do something and you realize that it's wrong, own up to it. And Whereas also white people at protests, stop stopping in front of the bunch of people and taking pretty Instagram photos. That is not why you're there. Same. You're not there to be able to prove you were there. You are there to be a part of, honestly, helicopter footage that shows how much support is out. Yeah. And like that is why you're there. Every person who stops, like honest, if you are a black person doing that, I totally get it. You should because you are going to use that to show that a for a different reason. But if you're a white person glomming onto this and you're if you're thinking about your your riot outfit or your protest outfit and how, you know, how you want to look cool, that is so uh, not you're not in the right place. Yeah. You're not thinking in the right place. I appreciate that you are adding your voice to an argument, but you're not adding it 100% for the right reasons. And you need to look at yourself and, and stop doing that. Also, I'm sure you all saw the video of the woman who walked up and pretended she was fixing uh, like uh, some, some one of the boards and then got right back in her car and says, that'll be, be good for the Instagram. Thanks, boys. And then she went, Black Lives Matter. Woohoo. And it was like, <laughs> Well, she has oh since been fired from where she was like a a journalist <laughs> okay. of a, a university paper type thing. And she yeah. was let go from that and obviously deleted all of her socials. But it was like, I, I literally <laughs> people are filming her and she still goes through with it. Right. It's the idea of avoiding performative activism, right? Yes. It's like you can't just post a black tile and then right. and then get on Move with on. your life yeah. because, you oh, I, I did it. I'm yeah. an ally. You, you need to share active resources that other people can help, you know, show up to protests, donate, sign petitions. There's mm -hmm. this really great thing circulating where in one minute you can get an email filled out with the exact text uh, to email to Minneapolis DA asking for justice. Uh, yeah. So, you know, that, and, and I think, you know, Eugene, you alluded to this is the idea of not of anti-racism of listening and learning from black voices and also trying to unlearn everything that you, you know, that society has kind of imbued with you, that the sort of systematic racism that is permeating our society. It's, it, it needs to be an active choice and a, a daily confrontation because, you know, 
every single person in this society has had moments or things that have altered their perceptions, even if consciously you are not engaging in destructive behaviors. There's a, a pyramid of ra- spectrum of racist activities that was circulating. 80% of them are quote-unquote socially acceptable. The idea of anti-racism is actually not a word I had heard before this week, and I think it's a, a very powerful tool to use for yourself and to make sure that you are actively working to promote change both in your lives and in the people around you. You know, talk to your family members, talk to your your friends that might think differently than you. And make sure that, and this is for us and people like us uh, who have platforms and right now is to be lifting up the voices who can speak it better. I saw yesterday, I a very mixed feelings about this Logan Paul having this podcast interview where he's talking about how he didn't realize we need to be anti-racist and people were sharing it. It's like, yes, he's speaking the right thing. However, I just always warn with people who have a history of being incredibly manipulative and using things like this to boost their social profile so that we forget about how many racist things this man has done um, across the globe, not just in this, this country, but how he's an embarrassment to our country. Instead of sharing him, there are thousands of black people who have been saying that and you've never shared them, mm-hmm. and you need to be sharing their voices. They're the people who should be telling us what's what, and not Logan Paul. And it, it's he's he's just being manipulative. I know that what he is saying is correct. That is a good message to be saying, but the person saying it is not the person we should be listening to say it. Yeah, honestly, we're only making this because we're trying to reach our audience, but yeah. don't share this. Go <laughs> seek out black voices on this topic, because... <laughs> yeah. They're far more knowledgeable about it than we are. And, and frankly, those are the voices worth uplifting right now to Ned's idea of anti-racism. It's, I think, very hard for a lot of white people to accept, even if they are liberal and quote unquote woke, that they have their own prejudices or that they have benefited from a racist system. I've benefited from racism my entire life. Mm-hmm. I had to unlearn racism at a young age. And this is something that happens and it continues to happen and you think it's gone. And then you hear your cousin uh, listen to someone on TV and go, oh, wow, that man is so articulate. And you don't realize the microaggression that even a sentence like that, where you're assuming that black people aren't articulate. Um, I remember when I was in kindergarten, maybe I was driving in the car with my mother. I was in the back seat, and we had a. a babysitter at that time who I adored. Her name was Paula. She was a black woman. And I must have heard this at school because it was circling around in my mind. We were dropping her off at the train and I asked, Mom, why are black people not as good as white people? And she slammed on the brakes. And she, like in the middle of an intersection, and she turned around and she said, where did you hear that? I said, at school. And she said, if I ever hear you say anything like that again, I'm throwing you out of the fucking car. (laughs) And Paula, who I loved, I loved her. I didn't understand the words that I was saying. And I Mm -hmm. saw the pain that it caused her. That me, even this little child who was innocent and I loved her, that even at that early age, I was already learning racism from the people around me. And I am unbelievably grateful that I was brought home and had a stern talking to. I also, you know, credit my my Jewish upbringing with always looking for and standing up for the oppressed people of the world. But it is so easy to go the other way. And people don't stand up against it and they don't see the ways in which it's, the that ways I, in which they learn it. Go I ahead. wonder, uh, another like take on that story is, what, what did Paula do again for... For you? Uh, yeah, I mean, she was my babysitter. That that already is, I mean, is you part know, of like a that's system already, where that's... wealthy white family has the, the black caretaker. I, that's absolutely not lost on me either. I have lived an unbelievably privileged life. And I fucked up a lot in my life. The things, <laughs> I, I've been arrested for marijuana possession in New York City. How did the cops treat me? They laughed. We had a, they had a blast. They, they dropped uh, uh, hand warmers on the ground to see if in handcuffs I could pick them up in the middle of winter. In, in the prison cell, they, they gave me a cell phone so I could take a selfie. This was in college, you know, that's what happens. 
And there are black Americans who are sentenced to prison for for possessing less than I was smoking in public. I don't get away with that if I'm not a white kid. And that's, you know, that that is further to the point of if you're at these protests. And that's why, you know, maybe you're listening to this be like, Keith, why would you say that we should be arrested instead of someone else is exactly that is yeah. that uh, you you can use your privilege sometimes for good and and that is the only way you should be using it um, because unfortunately the system is unjust uh, so in some of these instances that's the that's something you can do uh, I don't want to go to jail obviously yeah I, I just hope that people who are seeing that uh, a majority of the donation links that we're sharing that most people are sharing are bail funds yeah and those did not pop up because of the current protests they have been pre-existent bail funds because of the disproportionate um amount of black people who are put into the prison system who are uh, arrested and can't afford bail like that is something that has existed far far before this and oftentimes if you're at one of these protests what happened was we're at the santa monica protest um we pushed they tear gas everybody we push back on the line we're holding there they do it again they throw flashbangs we move back and then the third time we come back because people are still there and the cops are still there uh there are people at these protests that there's a number you can call in whatever city you're protesting in and they'll write the bail number on your arm so if you are a white and especially if you're a white person and you are at the front of that line trying to protect people who are black behind you. You will have a number that if you get arrested, you can call that number. But to me, that was just such an amazing, like, and again, this stuff sounds like it's like, oh, you got to have the number, like how self-aggrandizing. And yes, it is. I'm sure it gives a boner to all the white protesters, but it also can be helpful if you get, you know, in that situation, which I have friends that have. I mean, the whole situation right now is very scary. Um, because we are seeing, you know, people all over the country stand up and we're seeing them being met with an equal amount, equal or more so amount of violence against them. And yet still there's the people who aren't being prosecuted for these murders. I mean, it would you'd think it would be very simple, right? How how hard would it be to prosecute three or four people in this country, but instead you are going to allow this to escalate constantly because you are unable to actually stand up for what is right as a police officer, which is to always uh, be protecting and serving the country and the people. And if you can't bring three cops who have murdered somebody on camera to justice, uh, I you're never going to have people be complacent anymore, I don't think, or at least I don't hope. I, I, I worry that these protests will and may need to last every day of this month yeah. uh, because how how can how can governors li literally allow this to happen for 10 days and they know what the solutions are yeah and i mean we have an election in november this can last until then and potentially get even more fierce if yeah. trump is reelected. i mean i don't necessarily think either party is well equipped to to there's there's no solve. There's like band-aids we've like lightly placed over these issues. But part of the reason we encourage you to speak to people, at least within your circles, is to to activate this this true anti-racist standpoint. You have to influence those who you have like at least can bend the ear of. So you have to look within your families to look within your friend groups and see those structures at play and know who that who you can get to listen to you. And even if they don't agree with you, which many of them won't. It is important that they see that there is an aberration within their echo chamber, that there is a representation of this alternative voice, this very necessary voice in these bubbles that they exist in. And a lot of these bubbles include people who can vote, you know, in the national election. And I think that if they're not going to be changed by seeing what what is being portrayed on the news or what they're being fed on social media, their son, their daughter, their brother, their sister, you know, that's who at the very least, they can get an opposing viewpoint from. And pay attention to your local and state elections, too. Yeah. I mean, we have so much focus on the anger at the president, and that's obviously very justified. But at a local level, there, there are so many prosecutors, judges, police chiefs, so much of that is, is not appointed but elected. Mm -hmm. So 
you have the opportunity to research and to organize who is going to support the movement and then make sure they're the ones that are getting elected and not the ones that are going to support police brutality. Yeah, and the down ballot is so important for people uh, to pay attention to. And specifically, I'm going to say white people because often we are the guiltiest of being like, I don't care. You know, who, who, what do all these people do? Um, but they do a lot. Mm-hmm. And they do a lot to like even just your city council member of your neighborhood, it, you know, helps vote on city budgets. So it's very important if we are complacent to who gets elected, then we are complacent to the things happening around us. So you have to look and vocalize who you think should be voted for and why uh, people should not be voted for and have discussions. And uh, I am going to be I've been a little more aware of the down ballot, but I'm going to really try to do more than just the two days, <laughs> the day and a half I maybe spend on it when I have my mail-in ballot, but really looking at and vocalizing who I think should be voted for instead of just voting for who I think I should be voting for. And I think we should keep protesting till November. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll, I think, share some resources in the notes for this episode. There's a great episode of The Daily, which is a podcast from the New York Times, talking about the challenges of reforming the police system and why what is the system in place that allows this to keep happening um and frankly even people that have mayors governors uh, uh police chiefs that have run on a platform of reforming the police system have been unable to it is a really ironclad system that yeah. i mean you know don't take it from me listen I, I recommend you listen to that it's one of the many things that has educated me this week um, I thought, I don't know if you guys saw Ben and Jerry's released a statement that was stunning. I, oh, I, I And uh, among the things that they called for was calling on Congress to pass H.R. 40, which is legislation creating a commission to study the effects of slavery and discrimination from 1619 to the, pres- to the present. And that goes back to what we started in the beginning. Like, you cannot look at this as a 2020 issue or a, a 2000s issue even. This is and this is the American issue. This is something that we have not reckoned with since the beginning of this nation. They, they talk about uh, wanting to create a national task force that would draft bipartisan legislation aimed at ending racial violence, increasing police accountability. And they also want the, D- the Department of Justice to reinvigorate its civil rights division. I mean, there's a lot of things that need to happen, uh, again, at the policy level. But it is a, a deeply tangled wire of headphones in your pocket you know you know when you put your headphones in your pocket and all of a sudden mm-hmm. it's like how did that happen well mm-hmm. we've got a really nasty knot we got to untangle mm-hmm. um i'm curious i mean i i shared my own going back to this idea of anti-racism if you guys any have any more thoughts there i mean you guys grew up in the south i, I grew yeah. up in in liberal new york and it still was inescapable yeah i mean i i can certainly look back and i grew up there was maybe one black kid per grade at, at most you know, um, so that means there's a handful of black families in the town I grew up on. And I remember I, this kid is super smart. His name is Les. Um, he was a trumpet player. So I did band, right? So I was very close with him. But I was even close with him as a four or five year old. And I remember in preschool that he was really mad about something. And I asked him why he's so mad because I'm a five year old. And he's like, they're making fun of me. And I'm like, that's not fair. And he's like, it's not fair. And then I heard the ways they were making fun of him. And they were making fun of him because he was black. And they're making fun of him because his head was shaved because, you know, black hair versus white hair at that, you know, there's just so many layers of what was going on. And I remember being upset for him, but also not really understanding why he would be so angry at that. Because I'm like, people, I, you know, people call me names. uh, And I didn't understand it. And even as I grew older, I couldn't quite always understand why people were so mad. And and now as an older person, an educated person, I can see because he even at five uh, was being oppressed by children, which means he was oppressed by those children's parents. And I, for all those people who are looking at these posts and they're writing these things, ask yourself if that's something you learned on your own or if somebody else taught you that. Mm-hmm. And think about why you have the beliefs you have for all of us. You know, are you doing your research? Are you reading? Are you seeing things? Or are you echoing something that somebody has told you for a long time and you can't accept that maybe that isn't true? There's so many bigger problems to be addressing than what I'm writing on Twitter. Uh, if I say that I don't like the mayor, I'm saying I don't like the mayor right now. But you should, it's sort of like, why are you spending your time yelling at me? Why don't you look at 
what else is going on at, at a system level of of you know corporate inequality you like why are you f- protecting like nordstrom they're fine not only do they have enough money to handle it they have enough insurance to handle it not only, and also they didn't these these are businesses that didn't care to protect their workers during a pandemic but they care to protect their stuff and that should say a lot and that you know that's it's just crazy to me and this is a system of they care more about the money and people who also don't have money aren't even upset about those people who are keeping them from having money. You, you middle class people in the South, you're not wealthy. You're not going to be a millionaire. These, these things you see happen aren't going to happen for you. And you defend them as if it will. And it's upsetting because uh, you, you have been manipulated. And I, I feel bad for you. And uh, that's why sometimes I argue with people and I try to present cases. And sometimes I just say fuck off because I'm very upset. <laughs> First of all, there's a reason it's harder to get a permit to protest in Beverly Hills, right? So that it's the expensive stores that are not getting disrupted. But also all these people decrying the destruction of mom and pop stores. On Fairfax, right by where I live, I was looking at what stores they were cleaning up. There was one person helping in in the little store. There were 15 people cleaning up the bank. The bank is fine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Banks aren't your fucking friend, guys. They don't look out for you. They are not your friend. It was unbelievable. I do want to say something real quick about the, the yeah. anti-racist thing. Um, mm-hmm. I think that although we are in a position where we have, for me, 34 years of life that I could look back on and that I've been able to grow to get to this point, um, I'm going to say a lot of things that will feel very pointed and that are maybe a buildup of that. So keep that in mind. Um, there are three statements that I think that people should learn to not either say or learn to understand the implications of, which is one, don't make this about race. Girl, this has been about race since the beginning. Just because you have disassociated from the situation doesn't mean it has not always been about fucking race. Two, I don't know what to say. Learn what to say. And three, I think the big other thing is um, I don't want to talk about race. And that has been something that has been in my Asian American perspective, forced upon me since I was a baby. Every single either oppression towards me and worse oppression towards my black friends has been glazed over with someone in power, whether it be the school principal or someone's parents or uh, the, the person who's running the company to say, don't talk about race. Don't make it about race. That is a, uh, that is a, a band-aid of oppression that has been put over so many different conversations that need to be happening in families, in workplaces, in schools, every single fucking day. And even if you think you're on a liberal progressive side, I mean, we worked at a company that actually had groups dedicated to race and to sexuality. We let this idea of representation be put on the onus of those of color, of black people, to say, let them talk about it and solve it. That is what happened at BuzzFeed. It was with the best intentions, but in the end, because I'm a person of color and a LGBT person, I was part of a million more conversations than my white straight coworkers every day about if we should even talk about race or sexuality in videos or present it. And you might think that's unique, but that same type of glazing over, of smoothing out issues happens in so many different schools and workplaces in different ways. This idea of, well, let's have uh, this pony come out and either and, and be the representation and also like let us feel better, assuage our guilt. I think it's just hard to think that even just as for me being Asian American and gay that I have allowed people to tell me when I can speak on things. And usually when I can speak on things is because they want to show that they have a pony who's representing that alternative voice. And that's been since I was a baby. And to think that black people have experienced this to the umpteenth degree, historically, we are playing with a broken system. And that even in the way that you speak about it, you might have been contributing to that system. And I think that that's the one thing we can control, especially as young people who are learning about this today, you know, because you just have to feel that the discomfort you feel, even talking about this now or listening to this just does not compare to the historical discomfort put upon an entire community you should since be the beginning of this right nation. Now. You should be uncomfortable. Mm. 
we can no longer cater to a majority's comfort. Othering, demeaning, glorifying the pain of black people in this country is so much a part of the fabric of our daily lives. And it's even happening during these protests. And I think that people have to remember that there is no way we can get out of this without explicitly saying, I'm going to make this about race. I do know what to say. And there is no misconstruing that 100% I stand with the black community and Black Lives Matter. There's just no, there is no middle ground anymore. As you all know, we could go on and on. We're very upset. Uh, we will continue to go on and on. Uh, if you see us online, we're going to keep trying to help uh, uplift um, voices uh, that need to be uplifted um, and also continue donating to the pe people and places that need support right now. We encourage you to do whatever you can if that means going out and protesting in your community. If that means making a sign and sitting in your yard uh, for an hour um, or just retweeting other people who need to be retweeted, Make sure you, if you don't stand for this as a citizen of this country, you make that known uh, in every way that you can, um, because it is not all of us being attacked all the time right now, but it could be. And it seems like Trump might ask for that. Uh, he literally said for citizens to take up their Second Amendment right, that is basically saying, hey, citizens, go kill each other. That's crazy. Uh, that's our president. That is the truth. But if you're looking for some advice in your life about how to address things, uh, Miles Bonsignore has advice that'll go for Miles. Miles? <laughs> go to a fucking protest, you stinky turkey. <laughs> uh, I got two pieces of advice. One, go to a protest. They're all the time. They're in your city, baby. Protesting is sexy. It's the way you freaking fight back. Uh, Black Lives Matter, and that's important. You should go to a fucking protest. I have so many liberal white friends who are so quick to talk about fucking great causes, but I have not seen them go to a protest yet. Go to a protest, you stinky turkey. If you're available, if you're able, you're healthy, and you have, you know, the family situation that allows you to go, go to a protest. Secondly, look at your fucking bank statement. Take a look at your bank statement <clears throat> and look at the bullshit that you pay for. Look at that bullshit, baby, and match that and fucking donate to one of all the amazing causes that's going on right now. There are- We'll put a there. link to will, yes. a collection of resources in the description of this episode if Absolutely. you're watching on YouTube. And if you're not watching it, uh, if you're listening- It'll be in the description else, of the pod. You know, the pod description. Uh, pod description. Pod description. Because I bought a fucking gaming PC at the beginning of quarantine. I can afford to put a couple hundred bones in the freaking bag. And I understand that it's different for everybody, but look at your shit and really think about like, I spend money on this bullshit. I ordered out and I really didn't need to. I had fucking food at home and match that shit and donate it because the government is not giving any money to these things that matter. And so now we have to fucking pick up the slack, unfortunately, because we pay Miles, for the government anyway. flawless advice per usual. <laughs> um, and I, I will just add, I, I agree with everything said, uh, but if you feel that you are not in a position to go out and protest, if you are uh, immunosuppressed or if you are terrified of crowds and have anxiety there are a lot of valid reasons there are a lot of things that you can do from home amplify voices uh donate you know put your money where your ideals are um and just just be an ally in a way because at this moment silence is violence so whatever it is that you do to choose to be part of this moment understand that if you choose to not be part of this moment that is a privilege and if and just focus on where your outrage is. I, I have a quote I'd love to leave us with. Ooh. If I may. It better not, it better not be, I'm okay. No, it's not. Uh, this is from... Uh, there was a lot of... Um, look, we, we spoke on it briefly, but uh, President Trump cleared out uh, peaceful protesters in front of the White House with tear gas and flashbangs and stun grenades and rubber bullets so that he could go get a photo op. Uh, many of the Republican members of Congress and the Senate uh, were asked about this, and they either did not comment or, as Ted Cruz said when asked if what he saw by the White House was an abuse of power, he said, quote, by the protesters, yes. So this is from Robert O. Paxton um, from The Anatomy of Fascism, which he wrote in 2004. 
An essential step in the fascist march to acceptance and power was to persuade law and order conservatives and members of the middle class to tolerate fascist violence as a harsh necessity in the face of left provocation. A lot is going to happen this week. A lot will continue to happen. We will continue to be speaking about this on our own social media, and we welcome you to do the same. Please remain aware and vigilant and keep standing up for what is right. I don't believe we're going to have a song on this outro because we frankly would rather that you sit with your feelings, even if they are uncomfortable, wrestle with the ways in which your privilege has impacted your life, and we'll see you next time. And if you see some fucking lady like sharing an MLK quote, just know that he was there, out there, fucking fighting back. It wasn't about sitting around kumbayaing about this bullshit happening. (laughs)